listeners, and welcome to the NK News Podcast. I am your host, Jacko Zwetslut, and today it is Friday, the 4th of September, 2020, and we're having a good old-fashioned NK News roundtable, and I am joined here on mic number one by NK News and NK Pro founder and CEO, Chad O'Carroll. Hi, Chad. Hi, good morning. And on mic number two, I have reporter extraordinaire Colin Zwerko. Colin, good morning. Good morning, Jacko. And over there on mic number three, I have another reporter extraordinaire, Jongmin Kim. Hello. Good morning. Let's start with uh, COVID-19 in North Korea. Is it a thing? There was that uh, long time that North Korea said, uh, no COVID, nothing to see here, folks. What's happening? The latest from WHO, which is one of the only routes that we can hear about whether or not they're testing, um, it seems that they have tested a lot of people and quarantined a lot of people after the so, so-called redefector incident. Mm. Um, as of August 20th, they quarantined so far more than 30,000 people. Okay. Um, and also as of August 20th, thousand and four people were still in quarantine. And the WHO representative in Pyongyang told me that before he was like most of these people who are quarantined, they were the laborers at the the ports. Um so where, Nampo and Yeah, yeah. Where the goods were coming in and the Shinju Tandong border as well. But he stopped talking about that, which sort of um, alludes to what we were also hearing from UNICEF and WHO as well, that Talia Nampo sea route was closed since sometime in late July. Um, which is when the redefector thing happened. Oh, so okay, I was about to ask about that. So late July was the re- remind us of the uh, the basic facts of that story. What was the redefection incident? This person uh, crossed the border. He um, he was not spotted by the military at the border area in Kanghua Island, and he snuck through the the drain under the border mm-hmm. and then he just swam back to North Korea and over the Imjingang. Yeah, and then he was later found in Kaesong City according to North Korean state media. And when he was found, uh, North Korean state media claimed that he was suspected of COVID nineteen. Mm. But South Korean health authorities, um, after tracing the contacts of this read effector, we all know that South Korea is really good at tracing. Right. Um, and they checked these people and they were all tested negative. So South Korean health authorities conclusion was that it's very unlikely that this what this person actually carried COVID. Yep. But for some reason state media framed it that way after he was found. And military came under fire <laughs> here. The camera devices, they all actually caught the exact moment of yep. his read affection but they didn't notice at the time also i mean isn't there a bit of a logistical problem with having um a barbed wire fence and then underneath that is a culvert that anyone could potentially crawl or walk or um, waddle through that was a problem because there was no um camera inside the drain oh dear but the only parts that he was caught in like multiple monitoring devices when was when he um got off the cab in the middle of the night right and and then the military officials there were like oh maybe it's the um just towners that maybe they're just neighborhood people right coming back from a late night of drinking yeah yeah yeah. Well, what maybe. do you say to a cab driver you want to go to a, a you know a place where you can sneak under a fence just say uh, driver take me to some barbed wire you know take that's me to- also weird because that's 
Bintongsan, which is in Korean, that means um, no civilians are allowed there. Right, the civilian control zone yeah, is, yeah, it, yeah. is the, yeah. the English name. Exactly, yeah. yeah. But then they missed it, and then the camera showed um, him swimming across the river, and then there's like another device that they monitor the North Korean side, right. and they saw him um, coming out of water Gee. and walking into North Korean town. The detail of the story that we skipped over a bit is how did the North Koreans find one of their own just hanging around in Kaesong City? How did they do that? I guess he would have crossed over and and uh, had to like walk from uh, walk to Kaesong, which depending on where he arrived would have been anywhere between like 10, 20 kilometers, I guess. Mm, that's fair um, and he presumably would have looked a bit wet and... Well, after a 10-kilometer walk, you yeah, might dry off yeah. in, in summer. Yeah, but the thing is, he wasn't said to have been picked up immediately, right? They said that uh, right. they quarantined about, what did they say, 50 people or something that were in contact with him during the first five days. They didn't They didn't uh, hold a meeting. They didn't inform Kim Jong-un until five days after he crossed over the border, right? So apparently he was in contact with a lot of people in Kaesong City. And I, it was just my assumption. We don't, Obviously, we don't know, but it was my assumption that he was in contact with a lot of people and word spread. Yeah. And, he, and he's come back after being yeah. gone for X number of years. So it's a lot of neighborhood committee like people. Or... A ghost. Yeah, uh, go ahead, John. So, so that was why, um, because presumably he contacted a lot of people before he was found, what WHO was saying was that uh, in the week prior to August 20th, more than 3,000 people were released from quarantine, and this number included the first and second contacts of the Kaesong Rido factor. Was he supposed to originally be from Kaesong? Yeah. Oh, okay. So he's gone back to his hometown yeah, after yeah. some years away. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, isn't it? That uh, at some stage, he's walking around to the marketplace with no money. I could just imagine. And then someone says, oh, that guy, we haven't seen him around for a bit. Quick, call the Inmin Banjang. Uh, let's get him into questioning. He actually took some money from South Korea. Yeah. The US dollars. Oh, okay. And US dollars, of course, as we know, go well in a North Korean market. <laughs> <laughs> but one thing on just on COVID mm. um, that's been an interesting development in the last week or two is we saw uh, stories or rumors emerge in the Daily NK about the fact that the North Koreans are imposing in another border shut down up at Sinuiju and Dandong because ah. the 75th anniversary of the founding of the Workers' Party of Korea is coming up on October 10th. Big, big day. And um, by all accounts, they're going ahead with this very lavish military parade and mass games and so on, which is, if you think about it, a huge potential risk for COVID-19. Yeah. And so the story goes that they've closed the borders um, a month or two, uh, I guess it's a month, uh, ahead of the event so that there is no risk of any potential COVID coming in. Now, what this means is, Sinuiju Dandong, we've seen um, reports of uh, a complete shutdown. So there were the odd train, cargo train, cargo truck coming across to deliver essential imports. That's apparently now stopped. And we've reported ourselves on a similar development um, at the port of Nampo. Mm -hmm. So the port has also uh, shut down and the UN is no longer able to get uh, goods from places like Dalian through the sea route. So it does look like they've actually gone ahead with this, which could uh, translate into some uh, shortages again in Mm. the coming weeks. All this to say that it's extremely risky, in my opinion, to go ahead with mass games and... um, uh, a large military parade when there's been so few COVID tests. 
I mean, if you if if only a handful of people are infected and they come to the mass games, then that's going to potentially spread like wildfire. Has North Korea received any medical aid uh, that we know of uh, in relation to either uh, testing kits or PPE or uh, treatments or anything? A lot, actually. Most of them were going through Shiniju and Tandong, which created a lot of delay for these NGOs or international organizations because obviously they were piling up. And right now it seems that even Shiniju Tandong, like Chad said, it's closed, but WHO is saying that they are prioritizing only COVID aid. Um, there are also aids that were supposed to go in, like ASF or agricultural aid. Mm-hmm. It seems they are um, sidelined now. Until now, a lot of, like, you know, China and Russia provided test kits. Okay. Um, WHO brought in another set of test kits for thousands of people. More PPEs coming in. Um, a lot of sanitizers also donated by South Korean private organization. Uh, and and that has gone suit, in. Yeah, and hazmat suit as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and other, like, PCR machines as well. So there were a lot of donations. Actually. And what about from the South Korean government? Nothing. Nothing state level. But they did approve the private organization's aid. Mm. So that's it. And I wonder how that's uh, going to go in now against no. Kim Jong-un's order of in, mid, in mid-August to no longer accept any, or he didn't say no longer, but he just said, let's not accept any foreign aid. Outside uh, aid. Yeah, because it, it might carry the virus. Yeah. Something to that effect. That was interesting because they did not mention like outside aid from who? Like a lot of South Korean media actually interpreted this as like a slap in the face to the Moon administration because they have been talking on and on about inter-Korean quarantine cooperation mm. and that it was their way of responding to that. But it's maybe not just South Korea, but maybe more for domestic reason, like we are closing up the border, trying to keep you safe sort of thing. So the question that you asked at the beginning, Jacko, is mm. is it a thing? North Korea, and we we ask ourselves, uh, what are they doing with all these large gatherings? And some media outlets do report on outbreaks here and there, or suspicions of outbreaks at least, because even even Daily NK, RFA, or Asia Press, uh, they they will report that people think there might be outbreaks, but there's no testing, so it's not proven, mm. right? So maybe locals suspect that there's an outbreak of something, but so we're not sure. But the interesting development in the last month is that. North Korean state media stopped claiming that there were zero cases in the country. Mm. Uh, And that ended at the end of July. And since then, there's been some language like uh, we need to have perfect control and and keep the virus perfectly out of the country. But they stopped claiming in our country, we have not seen a single case or in our country or the virus has has yet to enter our country. Uh, So I think this is is, is an important point to see state media drop this Mm. but and then chad asked well if they go ahead with the mass games and the and the military parade well they're practicing for these already we've seen in satellite imagery that they're practicing for the military parade and they started practicing all the way back in january for this and they've been on and off so just the fact that they're practicing i would think shows some confidence Mm -hmm. right and uh, the fact that they hold these large events uh if they're legitimate um which shows some confidence because you know Kim Jong-un doesn't want to cause an outbreak. Right. So it's a, it's hard to square those two things for me. Yeah. With the mass games, I think you were mentioning this to me or someone was about the fact that usually they rotate guests from all around the country yes. to attend the mass games. That's what I've heard, yeah. Yeah. So, you're, so for the, the month or so that it's on, there'll be 
several dozen, well, maybe a couple of dozen performances. And each performance, people will be sort of uh, flown in or mm. trained in domestically to attend. And that's where it seems dangerous because unless they're testing everyone going in or highly confident that no one has COVID. Well, yeah. And at the end of last month, they brought in, or at the end of July, they brought in veterans. thousands of uh, the most elderly residents of the mm. entire country together for a veterans conference so defying the odds yeah all sitting in a stadium no social distancing and no masks, no masks. if if those images are legitimate which we think they are that had to have been a sign of confidence right they're bringing them in from all around the country um, or just political priorities messaging priorities yeah all right uh chad what have you been monitoring well this month we managed to obtain a pre-publication review draft of the uh, UN panel of experts forthcoming midterm report. Um, when so you say midterm, what's the? how often do these reports come out? Annually, uh, you, they usually drop around March and then there's a midterm one that usually comes around September. Got it. Um, they, it's a kind of progress update from the panel of experts just to show member states um, how implementation is going. And they're always a really interesting read, lots of leads for journalists to dig into further. But I think for me, one of the more interesting aspects was um, the fact that this panel of experts report is the first one uh, I've ever seen, which has named the uh, North Korea sympathizer group, the Korea Friendship Association. Oh, the KFA. Yeah. And it's uh, eccentric president uh, Alejandro Caudebenos. Uh, De Lesi Perez, do not forget the... Uh, aristocratic connections. That's right. Um, a lot of people listening may be familiar with this gentleman. He uh, has long claimed to hold some kind of diplomatic representation on behalf of the North Korean state. Uh, I think he also said he was a, uh, a, a North Korean government official, didn't he? Yeah. Does his, is his Korean name like Choson Hanada or something like that? Choson Il? Choson Il. Choson Il. Yeah, he's um, uh, a, a, an interesting character. I, I, I was once on a plane with him leaving Pyongyang in 2009, and he was wearing the Kinil Sung badge, and I, I thought, what, what's all this about? And it made right. me curious about his activity. But anyway... He was named in the panel report. Um, oh, now he was last in the news for a serious reason when he had that incident with a uh, modified uh, air gas gun. Right? Yeah, he, he was involved in, in um, he was in possession of several firearms in Spain okay. and um, he has lost his passport as a result of that. So he's actually not able to travel on these delegations that KFA do, um, hence why he just runs this weird North Korea-themed bar in Barcelona now. Um, oh. and plays a lot of video games by the looks of things on his Twitter account. Okay, but that's probably presumably not why the panel of experts are paying him attention this time. Uh, no, they they um, looked into his activities because there was a cryptocurrency conference in 2018. Was it 19? Yeah, the, there, was one in, there was one planned for 18, which I believe was cancelled at the last minute because I, I knew a, a, an Irishman who was supposed to be going oh, there. Oh, so it was 19 And then the, then. Two, the real one happened in 2019 – of uh, one of those attendees, an American chap was arrested, was he not? Afterwards, yeah. Um, and by the Americans. By the Americans, um, because he had um, done a briefing about crypto exchanges, and the the US viewed that as sharing like economic secrets or something mm. along those lines. Um, but uh, one of the other participants, um, who is the panel um, showed to be an Italian national managed to do a, a small deal while he was there and um, set up a kind of uh, joint venture 
uh, enterprise to create some software over a series of months. Kind of like, like a project management agreement with a North Korean IT development team. Mm. Somehow the panel of experts learned about this, um, started looking into things and found that Alejandro Caudabenos, the Span- Spaniard, had been processing transactions and cash on behalf of the North Korean uh, IT firm. When you say processing, is that a, a nice word for what, passing money through? Or, yeah, um... Take, taking the money from the Italian who, who wanted the project done mm-hmm. and then funneling it through an Eastern European bank account to the, his North Korean partners. That's what the panel of experts were, um, allege happened. Right, and, and it's, that, it's that kind of transaction, bulk transfers of cash or transactions of money that's forbidden under different uh, UN sanctions, isn't it? Correct. I mean, this was only about 7,000 euros, so it's, oh, not, it's, not, very large. it's not very large. But um, it was interesting to me because if that is considered a UN-sanctioned activity, mm. I mean, how far away is that kind of deal to tourism well indeed uh yeah because tourism money is going in a kind of similar way they're not like tourists pay tour firms and those tour firms then have to bring part of that money to their north korean partners yes and so i was i was was a bit anxious that this could create some kind of precedent and kfa is a quasi tour firm they do run as you say delegations yeah Yeah, so that was interesting uh we did the news story. I asked Alejandro for comment. He he dislikes me um, for uh, many reasons. Uh, and I've invited him, ladies and gentlemen. I've invited him on the podcast. Uh, he has also rejected that request, uh, citing his dislike for uh, for NK News. So that is true. Just just to explain for readers, our listeners, back in 2012, in the early days of NK News, we were we were absent any funding, and so. Um, we were trying to think of ways to make money around Christmas time, and we made made some calendars, which you you probably saw seen us selling recently. But we also made a deck of cards themed on the Iraq Most Wanted cards um, mm. uh, that the U.S. government issued back in two thousand two. Yeah, one and um, one of the cards had a for the Joker had Alejandro Caudabenos's face on it. Mm. Um, oh, he wouldn't have liked that. No, he didn't like that, and. I mean, there is some base to it because a lot of North Koreans I've spoken to do think he's a joker. I mean, he comes to their country and dresses in military garments that he's had tailored in Spain to make him look like a North Korean general. Are they not even made in North Korea? No. Are you, really? Are you no. sure? Because you can get those you know, sort of Kim Jong-il type suits made in... If memory serves that, he wears like fake medals and stuff like that. Um, oh, dear. I'd need to check that. I hope I haven't um, defamed him by saying that. Um, but yeah, he uh, he is not a particularly popular man from what I gather in North Korea either. So a bit of a joker. I, I, thought, I thought it was quite an accurate card. Are these uh, decks of cards still for... Do you have a, a back order, a back back catalogue somewhere, Chad? Some... We, we do not. But one uh, person who was engaged in track two diplomacy told me that his North Korean colleague, he showed them the cards Ooh. and they were quite upset that they weren't included themselves. What they felt... Defamed by not being included. Yes. They're, they're, they're not considered they're not high enough. enough. Oh, dear. <laughs> um, KFA issued a long, wittering statement about NK News after we published this story and accused us of all sorts and said that they were going to alert the South Korean embassy of all people about this devious news story that on. is counter to the 
into Korean agreements of, of days past. So that, yeah, that was interesting. Hey, well, just uh, as an aside there, what's the, the nature of the relationship between the KFA um, run by Alejandro and the um, sort of counterpart organization in Britain run by Dermot Hudson, whom I've also listeners asked on the podcast numerous times, and he has uh, uh, strongly said no. So I think I've given up on that one. Uh, are they in friendly relations with one another? Are they Rel- com- competitively friendly. Yeah, they seem to talk to each other. Um, I, I I don't know much about their professional hmm. interpretations of Juche or how they may differ. Right, but you've never seen them together side by side at a military parade or anything like that? No. no. All right. uh, I, I had a quick question on, on the tourism aspect, though, because the thing is that the panel of experts will bring up some suspected violations, but we can, we can confidently say at this point that the UN uh, is not going to designate many more actors that are brought up in the panel of experts unless maybe they're uh, very overtly uh, providing north korea nuclear materials right so the the worry on tourism being subject to some sort of sanctions would be what a local uh, some country enforcing the laws that they've enacted uh, in accordance with u.n sanctions or maybe the u.s treasury finally getting in on uh, sanctioning tourism well i think the complication is if the, if there's a forthcoming panel report which starts uh, publishing contracts between Western tour companies and North Korean partners and then says, mm, these look like joint ventures, that's going to create a lot of financial difficulty for those okay. companies. So it's just the, the kind of uh, saturating danger where they end up uh, being rejected at banks and this and that. And they're not even actually designated or sanctioned they just suddenly start to see difficulties being in a poe report is is pretty significant but uh let's not forget these tourism companies are already experiencing a lot of problems in terms of um having bank accounts being able to use services like paypal accept credit cards i I mean i think most of them can't do any of those things now not to mention there's no tourism anymore i was going to say for the last seven months nothing (laughs) yeah yeah the the tour companies are in really tough state at the moment um i mean the whole travel industry right but uh, yeah it's unfortunate I, I know a lot of people that were working in that industry and who have effectively lost their jobs because of this covid stuff so not great all right now you john when you've been assiduously taking notes while chad and i have been talking so what what uh, what, what you got going on what's uh, oh, on your mind writing down some stuff that we maybe didn't talk about um mm. actually a big news in august is that north korea will be holding the eighth party congress in january they announced it and they said that because the economic plan that they already have it didn't really improve people's lives they will they will review it and that they will announce a new uh, five-year economic plan in January. And that's an interesting timing. Uh, Chad, I, I think, do we already have over at NK Pro a, uh, an infographic to explain to our readers the difference between the different kinds of meetings that are held, including like the size um, who presides over it and, and when they're held? Because I think that'd be like really great. Like Bureau, Presidium, Plenum, EPC. Uh, SPA. Yeah. All those mm, things. That's a good idea. Yeah. Actually, good. I was drawing it myself for my reference. I can just make it into a graphic. Yeah. If the readers want. Subscribers, Link. please send in an email there to <laughs> Jongmin Kim at uh, nknews.org and uh, let us know that we need to have a, uh, a great infographic like that. To, to explain it just briefly, Party yeah. Congress is technically the highest decision-making body 
um, in the party. And whenever they announce a party congress, it means that they are making a big decision or a long-term decision uh-huh. um, historically. When was the last one? Um, the seventh one, was it? Oh, this is the one that, that Chad, you took the team up to, uh, to see, but in the end you were only allowed to look from across the road at the building where it was held. Is that, was that a party congress? Four days. Oh, no, we, we didn't. That was uh, in 2016. That was, there were a lot of journalists that went to the Congress okay. and then were kept in a room. Right, outside. in a sealed room. And, yeah. Oh, they yeah. let them out in the last little <laughs> yeah. bit, didn't they? Right, yeah. to look at it from across the road. It's, like, Most, oh, they, it's over there. Mostly they were just in the Yangakdo for a, almost a week. It was so, a four-day event, I think, in May 2016. Okay, so that was the, the last, the, the seventh party Congress. And so we're talking about having an eighth one in, in January. And has that definitely been announced? or is that Yes. Okay, so that's um, Not like a... January, certain, certain day, but yep. they just said that it's going to be January. Mm-hmm. And so why did you say the timing is interesting? Timing is interesting because like... Well, things don't normally happen all, in January. Um, well, first of all, January, that's when they have to come up with the New Year's address. Ah. Um, and I asked experts why, what this means. And they were like, maybe um, they will be replacing the New Year's address with this party Congress thing because it would be really tricky to just do both. Well, they but already replaced just, it last year. Yeah, yes. so it could be so a, an ongoing trend-ish mm-hmm. thing because last time they held a four-day um, plenum. Mm, plenum and then... Just they, one below a Congress. Right. <laughs> you got to work on this infographic too, Con. That's great. Okay, right. so, so plenum is above a party con- Congress. Sorry, plenum's below a Congress. And then, and then plenum. Yep. And then when these um, meetings are not held, because these are like the bigger ones, right. um, the people either in the Politburo or the Presidium, they hold like not regular meetings when there are important decisions to be made on the spot. So... Party Congress and Party Plenum, they are a big deal when they mm-hmm. announce it. And the reason why I said it's interesting timing, it's also because it's January, but it's also because it's after November. What's happening in November? U.S. presidential election. Ah, so this is like the first, could be the first big response to whoever the uh, the new U.S. president or the well, I'd imagine. Re- repeating U.S. president is. <laughs> it seems to me that it's, it's, it's a very convenient timing for them because it would give them some time to figure out the direction and the way in which they want to go to. Mm-hmm. And also, it's also convenient for the economic officials because they have been talking about this big October 10th celebration for a very long time because it's a very big 75th party founding anniversary and there were deadlines due October 10th this year. Uh-huh. But because of COVID, flooding, two typhoons, another typhoon coming up. There are a lot of pending domestic issues. And if I were the officials, I would feel really overwhelmed. But if there is another deadline coming up in January, I feel like maybe they could push it back to January, like in case um, it's totally impossible that they can build a, I don't know, Pyongyang General Hospital by October 10th. Oh, so that thing's still not finished yet? Still pressing the the October deadline for a lot of things though. But They do talk about it, but what I... I saw is that they shifted the focus so it used to be how like usually it was like headline they have um, the party founding anniversary but now they have it like in the kicker or something in the article and then the headline talks about the party congress Uh, Colin as our uh, token American here on the round table and so we've just been talking about the October 10th um, 75th anniversary of the founding of the Korean Workers Party in November, just a few weeks after that uh, that big celebration, you'll have the uh, 
presidential elections in America. Are you expecting any kind of an October surprise, perhaps a, a revelation, an unveiling of a new weapon or something from uh, from North Korea that might have a, an influence one way or the other in America? Um, I'm probably not the best pontificator on uh, whether or not there will be a, a provocation or something. Right. Would you like one? I can just say there will, they will have a military parade on October 10th. They could parade something through the streets that could be prov- provocative, that uh, would be untested. Um, of course, let's all remember they promised a new strategic weapon. Mm. Uh, Kim Jong-un promised to show the world a new strategic weapon. Uh, so something might roll through the streets that could cause reaction from the U.S., from Trump. Um, but it would be less of a provocation if it's not tested because they're known to roll through the streets some sort of mock-ups, right? So um, that would be a sort of safe provocation for them. Uh, but otherwise, I would just say there's a there's been a resurgence in state media in the last uh, seven months, eight months, well, you know, since the end of last year of references to satellite uh, launches mm. and uh, a lot more praising of the country's uh, satellite scientists. And so uh, personally, I've thought that there's there's just been a lot of hinting at the possibility of a, a satellite launch. Um, but uh, I think for that sort of thing, it wouldn't be a surprise. We would see some sort of uh, preparations, some sort of preparations mm. and maybe even an announcement um of an of a, an upcoming test but that's something just to keep your eye out for i think it's quite possible because they didn't talk about this stuff during 2018 2019 and they started talking about it a lot more recently would the rocket firing necessary for a satellite launch in itself be a breach of any sanctions or agreements between america and, uh, and north korea i think they do consider it to be such but ro- rocket experts and missile experts will probably tell you which i'm not they'll tell you that it's uh, there's a, a great difference between the types of launches, but they could learn, you know, some things from these tests. But yeah, I think I think the U.S. and Japan, they would all consider it a violation of U.N. sanctions. But just on the October surprise, um, so I did look into what happened in prior elections. And in 2000, 2004, there was literally no quote unquote provocation before or after the election. But then in 2008, when Obama was, uh, well, in the run up, there mm. was uh, anti ship cruise missile launch in October 2008 but interestingly that year most of the stuff happened immediately after so or not immediately but shortly after his inauguration there was a satellite launch in April 2009 and a a nuclear test in May 2009 under Kim Jong-il and then the second administration which was just after Kim Jong-il's death of course um, we had a a similar pattern of of pretty big events after Obama's inauguration Mm. another satellite launch attempt which failed in april of that year and then a a a successful one in um december 2012 and then a nuclear test followed in 2013 february um 2016 with trump is Mm -hmm. interesting because there were a bunch of events which happened before the election which you could argue were efforts by north korea to try and influence in some way foreign policy conversations so Mm -hmm. that in september 2016 there was a nuclear test a rocket engine test and then in october interestingly there were a couple of uh, failed musudan intermediate range ballistic missile tests but one of them was timed to take place during a clinton trump debate mm. and uh, unfortunately unfortunately <laughs> it failed um so it didn't make the political impact 
2020 seems a lot more uncertain though because even as recently as July we had Kim Yo-jong talking in quite positive terms about um, President Trump and it seems that uh, they are you know they want to keep that option open as to having a relationship with him so it wouldn't make any sense to to be too provocative in the run-up to the election if that could be used by the Biden campaign to to say um, look how your key foreign policy thing has turned out um, so I would say that they're probably likely to not conduct an October surprise maybe some something big at the parade but we'll probably see big action after the election um, one way or the other, mm. especially if Biden wins, I think they'd be very compelled to, to welcome him with some real serious testing of, of some sort. Colin, uh, flooding and t- typhoon damage in uh, in North Korea, how's that been in the last uh, week or two? I know that something's happened in Wonsan and Kim Jong-un went out there to, to inspect it. So tell us a bit about that, please. Uh, no, Jacko, he didn't go out to Wonsan to inspect something. Do you want to redo that? No, no, I'm happy to leave my flub in there. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> you, can, you can feel free to correct me. Uh, sure, sure. Okay, so listeners, I, I got it wrong. So, <laughs> so <clears throat> the August, starting at the very beginning of August, has just been a terrible month for North Korea uh, in terms of natural disasters. There was uh, heavy rains as part of the rainy season for uh, a couple of weeks, pretty sustained, and severe flooding, and Kim Jong-un went out to a small town to to look at the flooding damage okay, and so it uh, wasn't once and then no this was somewhere just south of pyongyang ah. and uh the the major goal with an october 10 deadline for the holidays to rebuild homes like 800 to a thousand homes mm. and they're rebuilding those in many places that was just flooding from from sustained heavy rains they should get habitat for humanity in there for that uh, yeah well it's basically <laughs> they've got the uh, central committee of the workers party uh top guys out there you know, on camera, building houses, kind of like Habitat for Humanity. Mm. Then there was a typhoon last Thursday, which was uh, eight days ago. Uh, typhoon Bavi. Yeah, Typhoon Bavi. And that uh, went up the west coast of North Korea and caused some damage. But Kim Jong-un went out uh, the day of the typhoon after yeah. it passed. And uh, reportedly, uh, he was shown in still images, uh, which are hard to prove. Uh, but he went out there and... Uh, said, oh, I'm relieved that it wasn't as bad as we thought it was going to be. State media was showing off some some very extraordinary uh, behavior, and in, in, they were airing all night warnings on state television about the typhoon, and they had reporters out in the field reporting in the water, in raincoats, yelling, and it was all very... Right, this is something we're used to seeing in Western media, but it's not common in North Korean media, right? Right. We didn't see anyone you know, acting like they're bl- being blown down in the wind with some people casually walking in the background like some uh, viral videos we've all seen. No, but yeah. uh, <laughs> so that was the previous typhoon. And then another typhoon just passed yesterday. Mm. It's actually here Friday morning. And I'm wondering, I'm checking the Rodong Shinmun and I'm, I'm wondering if Kim Jong-un will have uh, gone out to visit some uh, damaged sites on the East Coast where the typhoon passed yesterday. And it seems... Uh, similar to the previous typhoon, there's flooding, wind damage, but uh, we haven't seen anything except for state media images yet. But they were showing off a lot of uh, damage. Is the new issue of the Rodong Shinmun up? It yet? is not. It is Hit uh, refresh n- on that. It uh, is maybe. nine a.m. and it's not out yet. Uh, hmm. So maybe maybe Kim Jong Un visited some, just because he's last week he visited the day of the typhoon. Maybe he'll do it again this week. Who right. knows? Or maybe he'll send out his uh, central committee. Uh, top officials to visit and maybe even guide it 
which we saw last week. I guess his beach party didn't take place then, Aaron Wonsan. No, that's just a little aside. But yeah, Kim Jong-un had a brand new mansion complex built for himself. Uh, we, we can say that because we saw him using the same boats at his other villa, at the new villa, his exclusive uh, leisure crafts. And uh, he built that last year. And it seems like it was too much of a rainy season in July to go to his annual I think it's like July 20th or July 21st uh, party. So no clam bank uh, this year. Uh, Jongmin, one more story from you. What do you got? Actually, it's about the officials doing on-site inspections. Right, because there's been some delegation going on lately, hasn't there? Right, that term, um, delegation of ruling or delegation of authority, after the National Intelligence Service here used that term and said that, oh, Kim Jong-un, um, yielded some authority to officials, plural. Mm. Um, a, a lot of media headlines just picked up Kim Yo-jung because they said that Kim Yo-jung is uh, second in command. This became a rumor, the, like a source of rumor mill uh, for those who were not actu- reading the actual, the whole briefing note. Right. Um, this in and of itself wasn't like that new because we already seen from like the election of presidium members that Kim Jong-un was trying to give more responsibility and work to these people who are officials who are in charge of specific sectors, like Lee Byung-chai for military, Kim Dokun for economy, and Kim Yo-jong on U.S. and South Korea affairs. But yeah, they did use this term. Mm-hmm. And we did see in the past week that a lot of photos um, of these officials without Kim Jong-un doing sometimes using the term guidance, sometimes not. Um, they were on the top front page of Rodong, and that was... Above the fold. Uh, pretty unusual. Yeah. And it sort of maybe serves as proof that they are given a little more authority, but it also means it's like because they have more responsibility and maybe more authority, if they fail, it will be easier for them to be the people who are blamed for... Um, but after the rumor mill thing, to just talk about it briefly, because it was just like an hour after the NIS briefing, a former presidential aide in South Korea, he claimed that Kim Jong-un is still in coma since April. Oh, so that so there's still a rumor going around about Kim Jong-un's health. And then. honestly, people in South Korea didn't really give it a, a like much weight because mm-hmm. he didn't cite any um, named source and he just said that and, and like quoted an unnamed source in China and that he worked on it for three decades so he knows well and that uh, from a person like him to see North Korean state media pictures it seems all fake although Kim Jong-un had multiple appearances. Yeah so that bit of film of him at the uh, the fertilizer factory with the dot on his wrist is that supposed to have been faked as well? That is the last time we saw it the dot was still there. No but what I mean is it's, was that footage supposed to have been faked if he's been in a so coma consistently his, since that was April? His claim oh. that all the footage and the photos it all seemed fake to him. Yeah. Um, maybe Colin has something to talk about that claim but after that a lot of western media merged these two stories the nis talking about delegation of authority and then kim jong-un still being in coma they created a whole new headline that kim jong-un still in coma and kim yo-jong took over and that's how the rumor most started yeah i haven't seen any independent satellite commercially available commercially available satellite imagery of any of kim jong-un's actual appearances uh which he only i think was outdoors at like four appearances maybe since the April rumors started. So uh, can't prove that they're real, but there's a lot of uh, evidence based on the construction of the buildings at these like four uh, outdoor appearances he made that would suggest 
that uh, they were legitimate. They were shown on video. I, I don't know how they could fake uh, such appearances. Are you uh, saying that often when he does appear outside that it, it, sh- it might show up on a uh, commercially available satellite photograph? Uh, it would be rare, but it, would, okay. it, it could happen. And uh, also like difference like over time since May of like promotion and demotion and you can see it alongside right. Kim Jong-un. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's really a lot of official... To... Yeah, how could you fake that? That's, it's, it's ludicrous, mm. I think. But... What about Pak Pong-ju? Is he one of the people who's being, uh, have, receiving tasks delegated to him? It seems so. So Pak Pong-ju and Kim Dok-un, the NIS referred to as ah. people who are in charge of economic Economy. sector. Chad, we've just released the uh, month in review for August. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's been the, uh, the the interesting takeaways from that? This is something that our NK Pro subscribers receive in their uh, mailboxes each month. Uh, what's been interesting in that one? Well, we've talked about a few of the issues. Um, we also looked into foreign policy developments, which have really been moving pretty slowly. Inter-Korean was quite interesting. Yeah, we've got something on barter, between, barter trade between the two Koreas. Yeah, this has been quite big news in South Korea, but um, there was an effort to conduct a barter trade of various North Korean foodstuffs and alcoholic products in exchange for uh, South Korean sugar mm. as a way of uh, getting you know, economic cooperation on a good track despite sanctions. Um, however, it emerged during the sort of media reporting of all of this that one of the companies involved Choreo Kaesong Insam yeah. Corporation. I, I think I've uh, I've seen them selling their uh, ginseng and honey products at the Kaesong Gift Center. Yeah, they make a good liquor product mm. out of uh, the ginseng product. Um, but basically, um, it emerged that that company has connections to Taesong, which is a sanctioned um, North Korean company. Mm. And so there was a lot of back and forth in media about you know, uh, incompetence in the South Korean government. How could they let this happen? Blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I I got into kind of Twitter debate with um, our good friend, Josh Stanton, uh, a couple of days ago about this because... Hello, Josh, if you're listening. Because the thing is, if you look on any sanctioned entity list, the US Treasury Department's website, UN sanctions, none of them list Korea, uh, Koryo Kaesong Insam Corporation. Uh So... My question is, if there's no easy way for people working in due diligence and compliance to know that that's connected to Daesong, the only way you would know is if you research packaging, mm. and vin- relatively vintage packaging, you'll find out that it says at the bottom Daesong. Ah. But that's not something most compliance departments have time no. to do. So it's no surprise to me that this didn't get picked up immediately. So I think... I think there's a really growing need for a, an open access sanctions database, probably mm. a global one, but certainly in the North Korea field, I don't know how people are meant to be able to quickly know if 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 these kind of entities are. It is quite are, hard, isn't it? I've tried too to find uh, lists of sanctioned entities, and it's you've, you've got to look at all the different organizations, yeah. multilateral, bilateral, unilateral organizations to find it. It's N- really tough. NK Pro does have a company database where you can find this stuff. NK Pro subscribers. Yeah. Um, but that's you know that's not something that is accessible to a lot of these people. So yeah. Yeah. anyway, that was just one one development. But um, yeah, you can download the month in review if you sign up to NK Pro or NK News, and there's a 
a button you can click in the menu and you can get all the back editions. So I highly recommend it. Excellent. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is where we will leave our uh, roundtable discussion today. And we'll come back again in another couple of weeks and do more of the same. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening and check us again next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>